Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 13, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. It looked like the end of Ron and Hermione's friendship. Each was so angry with the other that Harry couldn't see how they would ever make up. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Everyone, we have a very special Every Flavored Bean conversation today, which is me whining about Quidditch. I don't think that's fair to say you're whining. I think our question is, is Quidditch a fair game? And can it be made fair? Are there rules... Uh, adjustments that we could make to make the game more competitive. You know, this happens in sports. Sometimes they adjust the rules to make the game more competitive. Yeah. I think you raise a valid concern about the fairness of Quidditch. I think we will explore it and solve the world's Quidditch problems in a seven-minute Patreon perk. So if you would like to hear that conversation, other conversations, bloopers, all sorts of delicious, wonderful audio, you can head over to patreon.com slash Harry Potter sacred text. And if you don't do that, guess what? We still think you're great. So thanks for being here. Matt, you have a story today on the theme of independence. I do. So I come from a relatively tightly knit family. I have an older brother and a younger brother. Although we're not very close in years, our family has been fairly close and, you know, holidays are big for us to gather. I mean, especially before we all scattered and my older brother moved overseas and my younger brother moved to the West Coast, we usually would like make a point, if possible, to get together for, for holidays and spend that time with each other. And it was just a normal and natural and kind of assumed part of our, of our life is that we try to gather for holidays, especially around Christmas. In my late 20s, I met Colette and we got engaged and she also has a family. 
<laughs> and and one of the things that was new to us was was who was going to be where for holidays. Now, Colette's parents were divorced, and so they had kind of gotten used to sort of sharing holidays of people being in different places on different days. And so this was not a big adjustment for her. For my family, where my parents had been together, and as I said, we'd always kind of spent holidays together, like this was a thing that had to be negotiated and understood and so forth, right? And so much so, like the first Christmas we were engaged, I remember Colette and I made a draft schedule to the hour about where we would be each of the five days that we were back in our hometowns. Now, our relative hometowns are about 45 minutes from each other. And in some ways, this would have been easier if our families lived on different sides of the country because we would just choose to be with one family over the whole break. Instead, with our families so close together, any time we were at one family over those five days, we were not with the other family, which was only 45 minutes away. And so part of the decision-making and part of the expectation management was letting folks know that even though we are close, we will not be able to be with you. <laughs> or when we are not with you, we will be with you soon, right? And so we had to develop the schedule in order to manage everybody's expectations and to try to diminish feelings of disappointment. And it worked. I mean, there were no bad feelings during the trip. People had clear expectations and we were able to follow through on them. And it was fine, but it was also like a lot of work on the front end to try to plan all this out and manage this before we returned back to our respective hometowns. The reason I tell this story is because on the one hand, you know, Colette and I deciding to join our lives together was an act of, one could say, like independence. I would, I had been part of a nuclear family and I was kind of moving off and starting my own nuclear family and in that way, like gaining some independence from my parents and, and my siblings. But in another sense, I was just acquiring new dependencies and new relationships. Like I had now Colette's family that I felt like I had to show commitment to and Colette as well. So it wasn't like I was just kind of freeing myself from one set of dependencies into unencumbered freedom. I was having to choose other relationships to cultivate and to to serve. And the other thing that makes me think about dependence is just sort of how, you know, when I was more dependent, I guess I would say, on my my original nuclear biological family or whatever, you know, a lot of what it meant to not be independent was just to have these decisions made for me, right? Like a parent tells a child, this is where what you're going to do, this is where you're going to be. And the child does it because they are dependent upon that person. But one of the things that happens when you become independent is not that those obligations go away, but that you have to become responsible for deciding which obligations obtain, right? So it's it's not like freeing yourself from those obligations. Rather, it's deciding that, oh, I'm the one that has to decide rather than someone deciding for me. So yeah, the reason I tell the story is because I worry that our notions of independence tend to incline us to think we become free of obligation, when actually I just think they make our obligations more complicated. And that independence means that we are the ones on the hook for deciding which obligations to fulfill. Well, Matt, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because I too have realized that I have very mixed feelings about independence, but I'm not sure that I don't think it exists. So let's jump into that after we do our 30 second recaps that's great independently but also together that's right we are always doing it together my failure is your failure vanessa oh i love and that your for success both of us. your success is my success i love that for both of us too <laughs> me too may i count you in please three two one go 
Hermione will not admit the Crookshanks totally moved, uh, murdered Scabbers, and Ron won't admit that there's no evidence for that, and it's really stressful. And then there's a lot of practice for the Quidditch game, and Wood is just expecting Harry to have solved that whole Dementor problem, and... Um, and then there's the Quidditch game, and Draco does a quote-unquote prank where he pretends to be a Dementor, and that is horrible. And then um, there's a big party, and then Sirius stabs Ron's curtain. Sirius Black was in the common room. Great job, Vanessa. I A little worried at the end there. I think things got kind of cramped at the end, but you know, I should not throw stones from my glass house. We'll see how I do. <laughs> Matt, you're going to do great. You Thank will you. expand that ending on my behalf, I have no doubt. On your mark, get set, go. So Hermione and Ron are fighting, and it's and it's and it's ugly. And then uh, the, they have the the broom, and they're showing the broom to folks, and they go to breakfast with the broom, and the people are very jealous. And I can't remember. Maybe they practiced first, and the practice is the best practice ever for the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Um, and then they actually have the match, and the match is amazing. And Cho Chang shows up, and Cho Chang has a very good strategy, and she does a really good job, in my opinion, preventing Harry. But Harry, because he has a spirit broom, gets the snitch, and there's a big victory. And oh my gosh, they weren't actually the mentors; they were Slytherins, and that's kind of funny. And then. Uh, Ron is attacked by Sirius Black in the common room. See, this is why I don't throw stones. Not in the common room, even. Ron's attacked in his bedroom. The party's in the common room. <laughs> I did worse with the ending than you did, Vanessa. <laughs> I, I think we're just learning that you shouldn't play sports. You shouldn't play basketball with Danny. You shouldn't throw stones. Not only rushed, but also factually incorrect. So at least you didn't lie. At the end of your 30-second recap. I often do lie in my 30-second recaps. Okay, Matt, you and I both talked about the fight between Hermione and Ron. Huh. So Ron is like, Hermione, your cat murdered my rat. And there's evidence my rat is gone. There's blood on my sheets. And there was an orange hair on the sheets that conspicuously looks like Crookshanks's hair. So Hermione is like, there isn't any evidence. And so they are not speaking. And what Hermione is going through between this fight and what we know is going on with the time turner and all the classes that she's taking, I don't think is independence, but it is isolation. And because she's isolated, she's having to do more and more things by herself, right? Which is one of the ways that we think of independence is you know, yourself is an island and therefore is having to do everything by yourself. So it means that even the subjects that she shares with Harry and Ron, she's not doing them as part of a group. It means that nobody is like, Hermione, you should go to bed. <laughs> you look really tired and you've studied hard enough, right? By becoming this like independent silo through a series of decisions that she's made, the one with McGonagall to take all these extra classes, the broomstick, which I think she was absolutely right on. And now the situation with Crookshanks, She's getting more isolated and therefore all of the problems with independence are coming to the fore. Yeah. There's this line that Hermione says to Harry at the beginning of the chapter when Harry's actually trying to reach out and be supportive, right? And because she's in the middle of a fight with Ron and because she feels like everyone's taking Ron's side, she kind of snaps at Harry a little bit and says, just leave me alone, Harry. I've got a lot of work to do, which is her kind of isolating, right? And her, in a conventional sense, asserting a sense of independence, because this is my work to do, not your work to do. I'm going to do this myself. You're not going to do it for me. You can't help me because this is mine and mine alone. And I would like to come up with or see if we can generate from this chapter a form of independence or a version of independence 
which has all the virtues that we want independence to have, which have to do with like sort of freedom and autonomy, but which don't carry the kind of bad and ugly problems of isolation, which Hermione is going through right now. And I think it has to do with something about responsibility, right? I think that we can be independently responsible. We can decide that we as individuals have responsibilities that we are accepting personally, individually. But the very notion of responsibility assumes community, assumes responsibility to others. So even though this is something we own personally, it 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 implies relationship, not isolation. And that's that's what I want to point to. And I think that's where Hermione's isolation in this moment, which is complicated by her excessive schoolwork, by the conflict with Ron, it shows how a version of independence, which looks too much isolation, can be really damaging and hard and should be avoided. Matt, I find that really helpful, especially, you know, we are living in a more and more isolated time. We know that isolation has horrible impacts on our mental health and physical health. The thing about independence that I want to hold on to is that without a sense that we could do more alone than we are currently doing, we would feel trapped in bad situations. And I am wondering if Hermione isolating in this moment reestablishes a friendship with Ron and Harry that is better than what it was before. She is saying to them, I'm not your lackey. I'm not going to just do everything you ask me to do. I'm not going to be the person who does all the hard work and like never gets the credit, right? She is showing them that she doesn't need them. She's happier maybe, and maybe healthier when she has them. But I think that this is important for her to prove to herself. And I know that it was really important to me to move away from California. And I moved away from California and from my family into another set of social and economic contracts by going to college, but these moments of claiming a kind of independence and saying, no, Ron, I'm not going to let you decide what happened, right? No, I'm not going to let you, Harry, decide that this broom is okay. I am going to continue to live in my own reality. I, I do think that these moments of of separating oneself are really healthy. And I think Hermione is showing us the dangers of that by taking all of these classes and being the only person who's doing that and doing this in isolation and in secret, right? We know the harms of that too. But I I think she's up to some important developmental things here that are related to independence. Yeah, I agree. I guess I guess I would say that those questions should circulate about where we place our sense of responsibility and to whom we're responsible rather than the questions of whether we need each other. I mean, I, I don't want to nitpick your comments, but you said Hermione is saying that she doesn't need them. And immediately afterwards, you talked about how she does need them, right? Like, we do need each other. That's That she's benefited by them, but maybe this would be an opportunity for her to get closer to Lavender and Parvati and invest in other relationships. She needs people, but she doesn't need the boys. And I do think sometimes it's important to remind ourselves when we become overly reliant on someone and start to think, like I got so reliant on Casper at one point that I felt like I couldn't go to networking events without him. And I was so panicked at the idea of him leaving Harry Potter in the sacred text, right? And then Ariana had the great idea to have you come on the show. And it wasn't that I don't love Casper and need him in other ways, but I was like, right, I don't need Casper. Casper can move on with his life. Casper can now read books other than Harry Potter. To some extent, 
The opposite of independence is dependence. And I I think it's important to sometimes realize I'm dependent on Casper as a friend, but he, he doesn't have to always be there for me in every single thing. Of course not, right? And I, I, I don't think the opposite of independence should be dependence. I think the opposite of independence is some more, is helplessness, right? Like, I would like us to be able to draw a distinction between the kind of dependence that all of us feel, and that's part of what it means to be human, and a sort of helplessness where we think that we cannot function without a certain kind of support from another, right? I mean, I think that, like, what Hermione is doing in being independent when she, you know, even though she's wrong about the facts of the broomstick, she's right to be concerned about the broomstick. And I think... You know, acting against Ron and Harry's wishes in that case is not acting against them. It's actually acting in their interest. It's her rejecting a kind of helplessness, which is like, whatever they want is what I have to do. And instead, independently deciding what is best for them is for maybe to defy their wishes for what I would do for them, right? And so it's not, it isn't her separating from them in the sense of like, oh, I can make other friends or I don't need these friendships. It's actually, no, these friendships are important enough to me. And because they're my friends, I feel responsibility for their well-being, that I'm willing to make them upset in order to do what's best for them. It's actually trying to cultivate and manage a real real relationship through the complexities of people's emotions and good and bad and right and wrong and all that stuff. So I think you're right. Hermione's plight at the beginning of this chapter, I think, illustrates both those things, the good and the bad, right? In terms of being willing to engage in conflict with the boys for their well-being by telling McGonagall about the broom. That's the right kind of independence. That's like, I'm taking responsibility, even though it will set me apart, right? By taking all the work on for these classes and refusing to ask for help or to describe the, the needs she has, that's isolation. And that's the bad kind of independence, right? And so I think she is actually a good example of, of both the virtues and the dangers of what something like independence might be. A lot of what we're talking about has been resolved in the last chapter. So what do you make of Hermione's choices in this chapter of not admitting that Crookshanks murdered Scabbers? That is like the new isolating incident, right? That Ron is saying, oh, if she would just admit it, then I would forgive her. And she is digging her heels in. Do you think that that has anything to do with independence? Or do you think that that is stubbornness or about justice because i think that again she's saying right she has just missed ron and harry and they've just had a resolution and now she has a chance to get sort of back in their good graces and she's like no i am not willing to say that this is definitely true and i think that part of what she learned is again that she is okay being independent from Ron, at least. It is painful to her, but she's learned that she can be independent from him and therefore that it's okay to piss him off and stay true to her values, which is that this isn't true. I think there's obviously another argument that she is just being stubborn and doesn't want to admit that she had done something wrong, but let's pretend that's not true for a second. Yeah, sure. I I guess I would disagree, right? I think the setting apart from Ron in this case, if that's an expression of independence, is is the wrong kind. I think it's not taking responsibility. Now, we know, because we've read this book before, that that Crookshanks hasn't actually killed Scabbers. And we also know that Scabbers is, is dastardly and, and deserves to be outed by Crookshanks. But Ron's concern is genuine. He believes a beloved pet has been killed and has reason to believe it. Maybe it's not sufficient reason to be 
fully and finally convinced maybe he would not, Crookshanks would not be convicted by a jury of Crookshanks' peers. <laughs> but the stakes here are at least a beloved pet has disappeared and cannot be found. And there's blood everywhere, right? And I feel like if my beloved pet, if it disappeared, I would want sympathy for my friends. And in this case, it seems like the lingering kind of antagonism between them around the broom is making her unwilling to just even feel some empathy for some of the sadness that Ron might be feeling in the disappearance of his pet. But it also goes the other way. I mean, this is why isolating conflicts are isolating. Ron is also not able to feel empathy for for Hermione, who has been isolated for all this time and feels really persecuted by the boys and by the common room and by the Quidditch team, right? And so, yeah, I mean, this, these are the dangers of isolation where the, it gets harder to kind of live into one's responsibility and take care of each other as individuals, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Hermione is definitely establishing a pattern here of not caring when other people's pets die, right? <laughs> With lavenders, <laughs> ra- lavender's right. bunny. There you go. Now this rat. She, at minimum, should know how this is coming across and be like, oh, I am starting to seem like the person who doesn't care about other people's pets. I obviously think that this is a complicated situation and she's not, forget that we know in the conclusion that she's not wrong on the facts. She's also not wrong on the facts that that hair could have been there from Christmas, that we don't know where Scabbers is. He should still be looking for Scabbers, right? Like she's deeply, deeply not wrong on the facts. And I agree that sometimes it doesn't matter that you're not wrong on some of the facts because another fact is that Ron's rat can't be found. Yeah. And that is and distressing. And that Ron's really sad. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. I, I think Ron doesn't make that easy, you nope. know. That's true. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I guess maybe what I'm pro is distance sometimes. The distance can make you realize, A, that you can be independent from that person and B, that you really like that person and that you're not going to let certain things get in the way of your friendship. So I know that's not the same as independence, but. No, I think that's right. And I think we are talking about the same thing. And maybe I need to explore why I have these hesitancies around the language of independence. I think it's because I worry about a sort of libertarian interpretation of it, which is isolating and which allows us to get, leave ourselves off the hook for the kinds of things we ought to be doing for each other, right? But an example would be the story that I told at the top of our podcast, right? Which is, I'm sure my parents would have preferred if I had spent all of Christmas with them because they wanted to see me for all of Christmas, right? The decision to not spend time with them was a setting of distance to some degree. And in that sense, independence, which is why I told it as a story of independence. Um, But I think what I want to emphasize there is not the distance making. I want to think about the relationship and responsibility cultivating. Like, oh, I'm the one that has to decide where I'm going to be and how I'm going to to care for the relationships I have. Someone else isn't going to tell me how to do that. I have to decide how to do that. And I also have a partner in Colette that needs to help me do that because it's complicated and conflicted. And that also means that some of the decisions I make may disappoint the people with whom I am cultivating and trying to care care for the relationships. And that's just how it goes. And to me, that's what independence looks like. It's And that's what Hermione's doing with the broomstick well when she's like, this is going to upset them, but I have to do it for them. That's independence, right? It's something else you write in this chapter when she's like, I can't actually acknowledge how Ron is hurting because that would mean to make myself vulnerable to, to this relationship or vulnerable to the idea that 
Crookshanks may have done something that I can't justify, and therefore I'm just going to deny it and fight with him. To me, that's that's that is just the setting a distance, not the caring for the other in setting the distance. If that makes sense. It does make sense. I'm not ready to admit that that's what Hermione is up to, but it could just be that it's because I see myself too much in Hermione. (laughs) Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Can I tell you a place where independence really troubles me in this chapter? Yep. Oliver Wood goes up to Harry and is like, have you solved that whole Dementor thing? Dude, you are the coach. If you are worried about one of your players not being able to handle something, you should have been working with him. This was an opportunity for partnership. Yes, Harry at one point did say, oh yeah, I'm working on it with Lupin. So Oliver was like, maybe Oliver can be like, I trust my players. I was giving him a sense of independence. And that's my Oliver Wood voice. Sounds mm-hmm. like this. Um, <laughs> like I gave him a sense of independence and I trusted him. And that's me being a good coach. But no, it's not. I He was willing to replace Harry over this. He's practiced a bunch. Like has only practiced this formation of the team. It's really weird to me that there are no alternates in Quidditch. <laughs> like is, what if someone has a stomach ache? I don't understand. But Oliver has made this entirely on Harry. And he, then he's like, Harry, you fixed it, right? What if Harry hadn't? By abandoning him, you've ruined your own strategy, Oliver. These things have to be done in community. What if everybody had gone and learned how to do Patronuses with Lupin? Why wasn't this a team-building activity where 
Harry could be going after the snitch and Oliver could be like, don't worry, I got it. I'm the seventh year. I'm older and no more magic. Also, I'm the captain. I'll throw out a Patronus, right? Yep. It's just, this was bad coaching, bad friendship, bad strategy, bad Oliver Wood, bad, bad, bad kind of independence. I agree. Uh, that's, that's exactly why I'm uncomfortable sometimes with the language of independence, because it sometimes takes the form of, oh, you have a problem. Good luck you solving it, you. <laughs> Good luck with <laughs> right? that. <laughs> right. And and also you you need to solve it because we're depending on you, right? Where like the dependence is only in one direction. What I want is for there to be a sense of like, yeah, you do have a problem. It is one that you are responsible for, but we are also responsible for you because you're a member of our team. And so we can help you with it, right? And so it's a, so it becomes more of a, a two-way street. There's so many ways in which the Gryffindor Quidditch team help us think about the nature of independence and the problems of, of independence. I mean, on the one hand, especially in this particular chapter, in this particular match, you know, I've been thinking about, we've been talking about dependence on interhuman terms, but we also have like how we depend upon technology and things, right? Like the Firebolt is this piece of technology upon which the Gryffindor Quidditch team comes to depend, right? Like it is when they're talking about the upcoming match against the Ravenclaws, Wood says, oh, this, the Comet 260s are going to be a joke next to the Firebolt, right? Like, we are going to depend upon the superior technology to defeat this team. And so that's interesting about how we are dependent upon more than just other people. We're dependent on all other kinds of, of objects in the world. But there's also the sense that, like, you know, at the practice, at the match, Harry is faster and more agile than he has ever been. And that makes everybody else on the team also better, right? And so, like... They each have their own individual responsibilities. They each have their own roles to play, but they also, to a degree, depend upon his individual talent in order to free them up to be their better selves, right? And so, like, yeah, I, this is just the complicated space of independence. Like, independence is real. I think everything you're saying, Vanessa, I'm I'm entirely persuaded, even though it sounds like we're arguing. <laughs> everything you're saying, I think is <laughs> no, true. No, I think we do agree. I think we do need to set distance from each other. We do need to take responsibility for our own actions and even take actions against others sometimes. But that always has to be in the context of understanding that however much we do set us one another at a distance, those relationships still matter. And we do depend upon and need each other in certain lingering ways, even when those distances are set. Vanessa, I think there's another example of exactly this sort of, I would say, wrongheaded approach to independence where we say something like, oh, you have a problem. You have better fix that because we're depending upon you, right? I think another example happens at the end of the chapter because we learn, as our excellent 30-second recaps reminded us, we learn that Sirius Black gets into the Gryffindor common room and slashes at the curtains around Ron's bed. And the reason he gets in is because he finds Neville Longbottom's lost cheat sheet with all of Sir Cadogan's passwords on it, right? And the moment we have at the end of the chapter is McGonagall saying, who would be foolish enough, stupid enough, I can't remember the exact language, to write all the passwords on a cheat sheet. And, and it's Neville, it's poor Neville. But again, the problem there is not that Neville lost the cheat sheet. The problem is that we have Sir Cadogan making ridiculous demands upon these students and Neville having trouble with it and no one supporting him and helping him. Right. The, the posture here is you have a problem. We are depending upon you. You fix it instead of you have a problem. We need you to work on it. But we are also here to help you. Right. Which may have been a better, better approach. 
I completely agree with you. And we also have like a learning difference, like not supporting Neville at a school situation. This is a child who again and again has expressed concern about his lack of ability to remember things. And I certainly would not be able to remember a password that changes every day. And this is a bad system for a kid who knows something about himself and is asking for help. And everybody has completely said, this is on you. And so this is the solution that he came to. And it's actually a great coping mechanism that he came to in a horrible system. So I couldn't agree with you more. Shame on McGonagall. I love you, McGonagall. Don't be mad. But you mess up here. But also, I think that we see Sirius's isolation in this moment, too. And the the desperation that it has caused. Where there are benefits to the fact that he's totally on his own. He can single-handedly and doggedly, pun not intended, go after Peter Pettigrew, right? And he doesn't have to worry about anything else. He can be seeking revenge and I would hope for justice. And that could be the only thing that he's focusing on. However, we know that he is a man of values and that he actually cares a lot about the wrong people not being hurt. And he is acting in a more and more reckless way because of his isolation. Yeah. And so I think we see, we see him acting out in more and more dramatic ways because of this isolation, even though this isolation does sometimes offer him the gift of independence. It's not like he's worried about feeding his kids, right? Or like yeah. not being home in time to watch Bridgerton with his wife. You're right. It gives him the benefit of single-mindedness, right? But he could still be single-minded if he had some allies and had some people to help him, right? I mean, because he still depends upon others. He needs this cheat sheet. He needs Neville Longbottom to lose it so he can get in, right? But because he's so isolated, he needs the failure of others. He needs to take advantage of others' weaknesses. He needs to frighten others terribly, slash at the curtains of a child's bed, right, in order to get what he needs. Whereas if he had some allies on the inside, some relationships, he could still be single-minded. But by being in relationship with those folks— by being independent in the better sense, I think, that we're trying to talk about, where he still owns and is committed to the single-mindedness of his purpose, but also understands that he is in responsible relationship with others and others feel that way for him, then he actually, I think, he could pursue justice better, or at least pursue Peter Pettigrew in a more efficient and less dangerous fashion. So you're right, the isolation, I think you're right, the isolation is exactly what makes everything so dangerous and sort of like with Hermione and Ron at the beginning, it feeds on itself. The more isolated he becomes, the more he needs to depend upon only himself, the more isolated he becomes and it becomes this sort of vicious circle. It's time for us to do Chavruta. What question did he bring? I have a, I think a potentially controversial question. Hmm. If not controversial question, a maybe more controversial answer to the question. My question is, is Cho Chang a better Quidditch player than Harry Potter? The reason why I care about it is because it's so hard to gauge Harry's performance in this competition because the Firebolt is so superior to every other broom on the pitch, right? And I know that Harry's this kind of preternaturally talented seeker and that we haven't had the same kind of rumors about Cho Chang, at least not from our narrative perspective within Gryffindor House. But there's something strategically that's so smart about what Cho Chang does in this chapter, which she acknowledges 
not maybe necessarily that he's a better Quidditch player. I'm not sure Cho Chang has a personality that where she would acknowledge that. She knows he's got the better broom. What she has is strategy, right? She decides that instead of looking for the snitch, she's going to mark him and defend him and keep him from getting it and trust the rest of the players on her team to score enough points that they can still win. Even if she's not the one that gets the snitch, maybe she'll get lucky and grab it before him following Harry. To me, that's just such a really good strategy. I mean, you see this in sports today where teams, which usually not because of equipment, because professional sports teams tend to have about the same level of equipment, but some teams, because they have a lot of wealth, just have much better players, but don't always win because those teams, which determine to try to depend upon the individual talents of their players to overwhelm less talented opponents, often those less talented opponents have to develop better team strategy and sometimes win, right? And I think this is what Cho Chang is doing. So insofar as she is a Quidditch player, like this is a team sport, she's working with her team to try to develop a strategy and win a lopsided match. I say yes, Cho Chang, at least in this match, is a better Quidditch player, whereas the Gryffindor Quidditch team is just depending upon this broom to try to win it for them. What say you, Vanessa? I mean, she's not (laughs) because (laughs) it's bad strategy, right? If she's counting on following Harry, she is not going to be as fast as Harry. It is not taking into consideration that he has the superior broom, and which is a completely unfair thing. But to be a good strategist, you have to look at the facts, right? And so actually, she should be doing the opposite, I would argue, which is constantly looking for the snitch and get Harry to be looking at her instead of the snitch so that he's always behind her. So I do love that she is trying to bring strategy to this. But I think that it is a poor strategy, as we see, bear out. I wonder if she's just trying to not embarrass herself. And by keeping an eye on Harry, she's definitely not going to embarrass herself. She's not going to totally have not seen a snitch that Harry was going for quite clearly. And so I think that this is a defensive strategy and not a good one. I think it is a defensive strategy. I'm going to defend my own position. I still think that it's the right strategy. I mean, the fact that they end up losing doesn't mean it was the wrong strategy. I think they're likely to lose. Like if you have a weaker team with a a weaker equipment, it's always going to be a long shot. I think the fact that they lose doesn't prove the strategy wrong. I also think that we have in the chapter, like he sees that she keeps frustrating him, that she is faster than her and he keeps, she keeps getting in his way and he misses the snitch several times where if she had been somewhere else looking, she might have just zipped and gotten it. I think her strategy is the snitch is 150 points. Because he's faster, if I see it before him, he's going to outrun me and grab it. Our only chance is for the rest of the team to score enough points that when he gets the snitch, we will still win. So as a team, their strategy is I slow Harry down. I take the speed away from his firebolt. So the rest of our team, which is more evenly matched because the rest of the Gryffindor team doesn't have firebolts, we can keep up and maybe get ahead. And this is our long shot. This is our Hail Mary. You know, I I have to say, I'm thinking about the etymology of the word independent. Ooh. (laughs) The word dependent comes from actually the same word as pendant. Right. So like something that hangs like what I'm wearing. That's right. Right. And so like a thing which is dependent hangs from something else. Right. It 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 depends upon it. It hangs from something else. And independent, the in is a is a negative qualifier. Right. So it's the opposite of that. You don't hang from something else. You hang by yourself or you are your own thing. Right. It seems to me what I like about 
chose strategy, even though it's a losing strategy because the Firebolt is so superior and because Harry, I'll admit, is a very talented seeker. What I like about the strategy is it seems to me like they have reckoned with the inferior equipment and they have said, how do we work together to try to minimize the advantage, the unfair advantage the Gryffindor team has? And it seems like they decided you just frustrate Harry and we'll pick up the rest. So I think I think in terms of that planning, that makes her a better team player, even if not as talented or with as powerful a broom. I have been completely compelled by that response. Matt. <laughs> really? No. Yeah. Really? No, I swear. Okay. Yeah, that was very convincing. Well, then what question do you have in response? My question is, should Cho have warned Harry about the Dementors? Because pausing for that second, stopping, warning Harry, yelling no and pointing at the Dementors for Harry to see slows her down and arguably could be why, at minimum, forget catching the snitch. But to your point, Matt, she wasn't able to foil him again. Hmm. I mean, obviously, I want to say, yes, this is good sportsmanship. This is the moment that I watch sports for is when two people across teams are like, whatever, our our greater bond is humanity. And I don't want to watch you almost fall off of a broom again. But shame on the school that Cho Chang feels like this is on her. That's my answer. Yes, of course, it's the right thing to do to warn someone that something is happening that could seriously harm them. But why is this on her? So let's stipulate that this is good faith, right? I mean, you can imagine Draco Malfoy doing the same thing in order to frustrate Harry so that Draco could get to the snitch faster, right? And I don't get that sense. I don't get that sense at all from Cho. This is not like, oh, good thing. Dementors are coming. Now I will will show them to Harry and get to the snitch first. That's not what's going on. But it's less clear to me than you that this is a warning rather than just alarm, right? The passage reads, he accelerated. So many feet below did Cho. He was winning, gaining on the snitch with every second. Then, oh, screamed Cho, pointing. Distracted, Harry looked down. Three Dementors, three tall, black hooded Dementors were looking up at him. I I can't tell if she's like, letting Harry know, watch out because you might fall off the room again? Or if she's just like, like every other student, kind of freaked out by Dementors and she just says, oh, and points, right? It it could be a warning. Why would she point if it wasn't a warning? I don't know. I mean, I, like, I think when you see like something scary, you point in general. I, I think it could also be both things, a little bit of both, right? She might be reacting herself and showing Harry while she's reacting. All to answer the question, yes, I agree with you. Yes, she's right to do it. <laughs> Because wherever it comes from, I think, as we have spoken many times before about the Dementors, they do not belong on the grounds of this school. They ought not to be there. The students and teachers ought to be joined in resisting their presence and warning each other and protecting each other from them. And whether self-preservation or hairy preservation or a mix of both, of course, she is right to do so. As long as, and I think we agree, she's not doing it to gain an unfair advantage over Harry by frightening him. Yeah, which she's definitely not. She's a perfect little angel who I love. Well, Matt, thank you so much for this fruitful and fascinating kavruta that you led. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thanks for your great answers and questions and response. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our voicemail this week is from Stephanie. Hi, Matt and Vanessa. I just finished listening to your podcast on Chapter 5, The Dementor. And during your sacred imagination, I found it really interesting that you both accepted that Lupin was asleep and only woke when the Dementor arrived. As someone who always pretended to be asleep at sleepovers (laughs) to try to find out the good gossip... I assumed that Lupin was awake, maybe not when the children entered the train, but at some point he woke up. And I have a bit of a haruta for you. And that is, why would Lupin pretend to be asleep? And my answer is, he wants to protect Harry. His position in the cart saves them some trouble from Draco. And he's not Harry's godfather, but he has a pretty similar relationship to him as that. He's failed to protect him before, and we are going to see him continue to protect Harry throughout this book and the series. So that's my answer, and I'm interested if either of you have a different take. Thanks. Bye. Stephanie, I love this voicemail. You... We're an awesome kid at sleepovers. I actually fell asleep at sleepovers. I wasn't pretending. And so I would like to think that in the morning while we were brushing our teeth together, you would then tell me the gossip that you learned just because I happen to fall asleep. But I'm not totally compelled by your answer. I'm compelled that Lupin is faking sleep. I am not compelled that he was in there protecting Harry just because what were the odds that Harry was going to go into that train car? 
And I understand that you're saying like once he wakes up, he's like, oh, Harry's in here. I have to protect him. He doesn't know what Harry's voice really sounds like. I guess I would have to go back and do a really close reading and see if Harry's name is said. I just the the chance of this is is honestly on a plot level frustrating to me, but on a sacred level seems like is something that we have to contend with. It's harder to protect someone if you're not set up for that success. Matt, what are you thinking about Stephanie's amazing voicemail? I'm thinking it's amazing. (laughs) And I'm also thinking as an introvert who has often pretended to be asleep on planes so as not to have to converse with, I'm sure, the very kind person next to me. There are other reasons why Lupin might be asleep in this train car. So although I find Stephanie's reading compelling, in good Havruta fashion, I'm going to answer that question with my own question, which is, why do people on public transportation want to talk to their neighbors in seats? Like, why? What are these extroverts doing? Just let us let us turn inward <laughs> in silence, please. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie, for for this lesson in introversion. It's a great voicemail. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Gay Hansen, a song sparrow sang for her. Anthony Morrow, 44, beloved music teacher. Keith, a father and grandfather. Auntie Leona, a beloved aunt and matriarch. Kenneth W. Sturgill III, who is 21, U.S. Air Force Special Operations, the best man anyone who met him knew. Rhoda Frank, who is 88, a family matriarch and world traveler. Steve Gwynn, who was 73 and a lover of books and gardens. Sene Lindgren, who is 85, a husband, brother, and friend. Eric Anthematin Dominguez, who is 43, a philosopher, educator, and prison reformer. And Sadie Christensen, who is 21, an empath, animal lover, and mental health advocate. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Matt, it's now time for us to offer a blessing. Who would you like to bless this week? Vanessa, I would like to bless Cho Chang, just for all kinds of reasons. I think if you're right, then Cho Chang warns Harry about the Dementors in an act of of sportsmanship. If I'm right, Cho Chang develops with her team an excellent strategy to try to defeat an opponent against which they are outmatched. And also just because, I think we've spoken about this on the podcast in other contexts, but not recently because Cho Chang was just introduced. You know, as an Asian character in this this series, I just want to 
bless her for that. And also for what Harry Potter Twitter and others have recognized as kind of a ridiculous Asian name. I just want to bless Cho Chang. She's a favorite character of mine. And and she appears here for the first time and I think does a great job in her first appearance in the series. That's my blessing. What's yours, Vanessa? Amen. Love Cho Chang. I am blessing, interestingly enough, her future boyfriend, Cedric Diggory. He makes a brief appearance in this chapter and says to Harry, oh, Harry, I'm so glad you were able to replace your broom because Cedric won the game against Harry, but feels guilty that he won because Harry was attacked by the Dementors. And Cedric, right, like even tried to give the win back. And so this is a moment where he's like, okay, some reparation is being made here. And he seems genuinely happy about it. Yeah. And I just think that that's very sweet that he's been like clearly concerned that Harry's broom got ruined and comes with this moment of cross-house outreach. So Cedric Diggory Cho Chang, what a great couple. This is, I think, our first love match blessing. Yeah, it is. And I love it for us. Matt, great news. Next week, we will be joined by the amazing Casper Turkyle. And we will be reading book three, chapter 14, Snape's Grudge, through the theme of wisdom, which makes sense because Casper, as everyone knows, is very wise. I love Casper. I love wisdom. Can't wait for this episode. This was a Not Sorry production, and we are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by 8Cast. Thanks this week to Stephanie for their excellent Havruta question and voice memo, to Laura Glass, to Julia Argy, to Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Trakyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who sent in the names of those who have been loved and lost this week. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Chapter 13, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. I just also love the picture <laughs> on this one of Crookshanks as big as a tree. <laughs> Sorry. Okay.